You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, I have just come back from Israel, and uh, it's good to be back. Good to see you all. Uh, I, I was not aware how much of Elk Grove is lakefront property. <laughs> we got in like late Friday night, and it was all dark, and we couldn't really tell. And then yesterday, I'm like jet lagged. In fact, it's like 9 p.m. right now for me. So we're going all night. I'm a night owl, so just get ready, buckle up. Uh, we're gonna have a good time. But I, I driving up the five this morning to church. I was like unbelievable. Apparently, you had a lot of rain. Uh, we had some water damage at my house, and so maybe you have it yours. Uh, but it's just been awesome. We're grateful for the rain. We're thankful for the rain. We need the snowpack in the Sierras. We've been in a drought for so many years here. We're grateful for it. But wow, when that saturation point hits. And then the ground can't hold the water anymore. It just starts coming up. It's just unreal. And, but it's great to be back. We, uh, my wife, Heather, and I spent uh, 11 days in Israel and went on a trip. And it's really kind of a, a search trip because we are looking at doing a trip next year, roughly at this time of year. We'll give you actual dates when we get closer. But it's just an amazing thing to be in the land. When you've read about uh, in the scriptures the Holy Land, and, and I've been literally 28 years ago, so it was a long time ago. I was Matthew's age or, or Joshua's age, like my kids. I was the age of my kids. And, uh, and just a long time ago, and you go back and you see the land. It changes everything. It changes the dynamic of your spiritual growth. It changes how you read scripture. It changes the clarity that you get when you read the scriptures. In fact, it's why we call the land of Israel the fifth gospel. Say, so wait, what do you mean? Well, in the Bible, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when you see the land, the land helps you understand the context that those four gospels happen in. And so it's like a fifth gospel. It really is so important to build a culture where people like from Sun Grove or, or you as a Christian are able to go and get to the Holy Land at some point uh, in your life. And so we're going to start a culture of that here at Sun Grove over the next few years and getting on some different trips to the Holy Land. It's going to be very exciting. And, and it's just amazing to see the places. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm going to put up a picture of the Dome of the Rock. And this picture here, that's uh, just an iconic uh, element. When you are in Jerusalem and you look at the old city, you see this, this building. It's a dome, a open building that is built over a rock. And that rock is where Abraham went up to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God stopped him and blessed him with, you know, uh, just to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you in your life. He tested Abraham with that. And just Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And that is built over a rock. So years ago, you're not allowed to go in there anymore, by the way, unless you're a Muslim and you have to, you have to quote a lot of the Quran to be able to get in there. Um, but years ago, I was able to go in there and you take your shoes off and you walk in there and it literally is just a big wide open thing with a rock coming out of the floor. And that's supposed to be the rock where that happened. And, and sometimes they speculate that maybe Muhammad, you know, went up to heaven or something from there. But the truth is, if you study history, you find out that Muhammad was never there. So when was he ever there? Never. And so, but they built, they wanted to build a big, huge dome over this rock. And, and you don't build just any dome, right? You build a golden dome. You have to build a big, shiny object to say that this is really, really important place. It's just a you know, big, huge place, and, and they've got control of the land there at that time. They've got some control of the, of the Temple Mount. And so when Jewish people go to pray, they go to the 
Western Wall. Now, the Western Wall is the retaining wall. I've explained to you before that when you have a hill, you can't get more real estate across the hill. In our day and age, we just mow the hill down with bulldozers and get more real estate than you can build. In that day and age, you had to build retaining walls up and backfill it with dirt. Now you have a huge place to be able to build, and that's what they would do in that day. So they built a massive retaining wall. So when Jewish people go up to the the wall, the western wall to pray, it's the closest place they can get to where the temple was built up on top of the the, uh, temple mount. It's as close as they can get. So that's where they go, and they pray, and they put their prayers in the cracks. And let me tell you, it was just powerful to go up there and to take the prayers that you had written down on paper and put in the cracks of the wall back there, and we had them typed up on really small font, and we prayed over them, and we stuck them in the wall, and we know God's Holy Spirit hears us right where we are. We don't have to pilgrimage to a place like that to do that, but just on behalf of our church saying, God, we are just lifting up these prayers to you. It was just a special moment uh, in the life uh, for us, and obviously on behalf of uh, our church, because we love you so much, and it was just awesome to be able to be there and do that. But what happens is people build this really big, shiny dome on top of a place that they think is important, right? Whenever our world wants to say something's really important, they build something out of gold, or they do something that's a very shiny. It's a big, shiny object. Almost anywhere you are, you're going to look at the old city of Jerusalem, and you're going to identify quickly the Dome of the Rock. Why? Because they built a big, shiny object up there. If I took a survey of many of you in this room and say, how many of you want to follow the Lord? A lot of you would say, I do. I, I follow God. I want to follow God, or I do follow God. And the reason you would say that you follow God is because in your mind, you would make a judgment. And your judgment in your mind would say, Um, I do or I want to do what I perceive a Christian ought to do. And that definition is going to be really different across the spectrum, right? Because one person is going to say, well, I just grew up in a family that followed Christ, so I must be a Christian. Other people are going to be like, well, I want to like add God to my life. I kind of see God as an upgrade. I want to add God to my life among everything else. And if I do that, then he'll bless the course of my life if I can add God as an upgrade. And other people are going to say, no, no, no. I want to seek God for who he is, and I want to carefully read the scriptures, and I want to be careful to obey and to follow the Lord, and there's this tension that God's always working on me in that, that there are areas where I'm willful and disobedient, and other areas where I'm obedient, and God's growing me in those things as I follow him, and still others want to follow God. They would say, I I want to, but the truth is, I get distracted by the world and the cares of the world all the time. I, I'm well-intentioned. I want to follow God. But when it comes right down to it, I get distracted by the cares of life in this world. And we're going to be in a series called Shiny Objects. So staying on mission in a distracted world. What does that actually look like? Have you noticed right now that we live in a culture where people basically do what they please? Think about it for a minute, right? We've talked in here before about the the new God of America, the new God of the age is not some false idol. It's It's really just doing as we please. And that's the tension that you'll feel in yourself at times too. But how many of you say that's our culture right now? People just do whatever they want. They just do as they please. Come on, raise your hand if you agree with me on that. Yeah, we can, we're going to participate here a little bit today. Thank you very much. And uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to participate as we go through that. And that's why people just do whatever they please. And it seems like people want to hear from their head more than they want to hear from the Lord. 
and they're going to evaluate, hey, if you say something or else, I'm, I'm going to judge it by what I hear in my head. And if it's not what I hear in my head, then I'm going to disagree with you or whatever, right? When, the, when that happens, people want to hear from their head more than they want to hear from God himself. And the more that we hear from ourselves, the more distracted we get, and then the further we drift from God. And the, more that, the further that we drift from God, the less significant life becomes. It becomes less satisfying. It becomes with less purpose in your heart, and in your job, and in your home, and in your workplace, and all these areas. Many people, let's just be honest, many people are just simply not aware that they might be living off mission in their relationship with God. They might think, I'm following the Lord, but the truth is you're one degree off, or you're, you're assuming that you're following God, but the, the evaluation of your life might say, really, I'm just adding God to my life. They're not aware that it might be just be one degree off, or that you're off mission in your life, that, that maybe in your life, and I'm going to suggest this, that maybe in your life, you have shiny object syndrome. Did you know that's an actual syndrome? Shiny object syndrome. Sometimes leaders get it in business, and they're like, oh, i got to go after this, and it's the next greatest thing. It's going to take us to the next level. And the other leaders around them are like, oh, time out, time out. Let's just really take care of this, because that leader, that CEO is just always like, oh. Some people call it ADHD, right, or ADD. And you're just like in the middle of a conversation, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, shiny object, right? And you just like, then you go away and you come back. Maybe you never come back to the subject anymore. But actually, shiny object syndrome is not just ADHD or ADD. It's not that. It's an actual syndrome that people, they just, they'll get distracted by something. It's like, it's like that dog Doug in the movie Up, right? And he's just like talking all of a sudden. He's like, squirrel. He points. And he's back to what he was talking about, right? And some of you are like that. You want to follow God, but you have shiny object syndrome in your life. So here's why you need this sermon. Chances are your life is distracted by shiny objects. When the world wants to make something important, they make a shiny object. It's just what the world does, whether it's the dome of the rock. It's not just any dome. It's a golden dome, and they make a shiny object, right? If you're an actor, you aspire to win a golden globe or a golden Oscar. That's what you want to do, and the world goes, wow, about shiny objects. We make award ceremonies to celebrate things, to just celebrate ourselves more, celebrate our entertainment, celebrate our celebrities. You know, every kid on the soccer team now gets a shiny object, whether they were first place or last place, it's ridiculous. We, our world loves shiny objects, right? But Jesus didn't leave us with a shiny object. He didn't build a golden dome of the rock. He didn't build a massive wall in China. He didn't leave us pyramids with golden treasures inside to declare that he's important. That's not Jesus' way. That's the way of the world. People trying to live for immortality. People trying to live on and say, I'm significant. I'm important. Jesus Christ is building a church, listen, of living stones. He's saying, I'm not building a church that you're going to see on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem at this point. He's saying, I am building a church of living stones. In other words, my Holy Spirit will indwell you, and you are coming together. You are being gathered together. You are being constructed and unified together to be my shiny object in the world, a very dark world. You are a living stone. 
And he's going to compile them all together, and we rest on the cornerstone. Christ, Jesus Christ, is the cornerstone of the church. And he is building a church made of living stones, people in whom he dwells, a people who are priests of the Most High God. Did you ever think about that for a minute? Do you ever think that you are a priest? You're going, I don't got a collar, I don't got, you know, whatever. No, if you want to know who the ministers are, if you want to know who the shining lights are, if you want to know who the priests of the Most High God are in the New Testament, all you got to do is look at your driver's license. God's calling you and me to be his church. First Peter tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy what? Everybody help me out here. A holy what? Priesthood. Excellent. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He is building us together. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. Okay, look at your neighbor. They're laughing, right? They're chuckling about it. I'm a priest. But the truth is, God really is saying, that's what I'm doing. What am I doing? I'm taking the presence of God, and I'm putting it inside you as a living stone. And then my Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, wants to live and act out the mission of God in and through your life. He is making you part of the church. He is building the church together as living stones. You're a priest. You were righteous because of Jesus. You were washed because of Jesus. You are clean because of Jesus. And he's building you together. But the problem is this, that even priests can get distracted by shiny objects. When you have shiny object syndrome, again, it's an actual syndrome, by the way, that spells SOS. Just saying, right? It's like a cry for help. I've got shiny object syndrome. I, I, sometimes I want to chase the Lord, but other times I want to chase this or that or the other thing. And I start to run after other gods. And it's like a cry for help that your life is saying, I need help. I'm searching for the real living God. But the truth is I'm so easily distracted by my shiny objects. It's SOS. It's a cry for help because you and I at times get off mission. We're going to look together today at a family that was off mission. It's in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. If you have your Bible, open with me to Judges chapter 17. And what I want you to do in your outline is take out your sermon notes. You say, Dave, I looked in the outline. There aren't any sermon notes. And I say, that's right. So what I want you to do is take the sheet that talks about live your calling and flip it over on the back. And it's a blank sheet. And those are now your sermon notes. So you're going to write down the things that as we speak together, as God begins to speak this morning to you, you're going to write down the things that he wants to highlight for you. And there's something about writing it down, that you and I have a higher rate of retention when we write something down. So I'm going to challenge you today. Take the pen out, take that paper out, and let God begin to speak the things he wants to your heart. And will you affirm them by writing them down? In Judges chapter 17, the people of Israel have now moved from uh, being slaves in Egypt and wandering in the desert for 40 years, and now God is giving them a land, a land flowing of milk and honey, and it's a beautiful, it's a productive land. It's in many ways like the Central Valley of California. It's a beautiful, vibrant land, and there's lots of uh, milk that can be there because you can do, run cattle and goats and other things that produce milk, and, and it's great pasture land in a lot of that area, and it's flowing with honey, not because they have a lot of bees. It's because they have a lot of dates, 
and they make date honey. And so what happens is this is a very productive land, and, and so it's a land that will provide for what you need, and, and they've just moved from the desert where God had to provide bread, because you're not making bread in the desert, it's desert. And now they're moving this land, and they're taking the land, but it's a time when they don't have kings yet. See, it's a theocracy. Here's a nation of God's people, and God is the head, but God leads and speaks to his people through judges. But sometimes the people respond well to their judges, sometimes they don't. Sometimes the judges follow God pretty well, other times they do not. And the people eventually will cry out for a king. They'll say, listen, God, we want a king. All the other nations have a king, and we're playing the comparison game. And, and God says, well, you understand, please, that kings will enslave you kings will extract taxes from you kings will lay a heavy burden on you they're like we just want to be like everybody else so the time is coming when god will allow them to have a king because it's the desire of their heart even though his way is better he allows his people to run away like he does with you and me right sometimes god he loves us enough and he lets us run but he woos us to bring us back to him but sometimes we got to learn those lessons on our own don't we and so there's coming a time when they'll have a king, but we're not at that time yet. We're in the time of the judges. And the criticism in the book of Judges of the people of Israel, time and again, is that the people of Israel simply live as they please. That that's the God of this age, that you and I want to be rebellious. We want to just do what we want to do. We want to have God, but do what we want to do. We want to be God, but kind of have God too. And there's this syncretism between two opposing ends and the people of God and the families represented are just like you and just like me in the time of Judges. And we're going to look at one family today with a very unique story. Picks up in verse 1 of chapter 17 of the book of Judges. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver, which is 28 pounds by the way, that's a lot of silver, that was taken from you, at which about I heard you say I utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. And then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. Let me just tell out right there. This is a very weird story. Let me give you the picture. This son takes 28 pounds of silver from his mom. She is upset. Somebody stole from her. So she verbally commands a curse against whoever was the thief. She doesn't know it's her own son. So the kid steals from the parent. That happens, right? And then what happens is the, the mother produces a curse and then the son says, oh, mom, by the way, I don't want that curse to happen to me. So by the way, I'm the one who took it, and I'll give it back to you. And then she says a blessing. It's kind of a weird idea. Let's go on. And when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I'll give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make an idol, and it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. And in those days, Israel had no king. Listen, and everyone did as they saw what? This is a messed up family but they're not unusual. In fact, one of the things I love about the Bible is that when we see messed up families, I don't feel quite so bad about my own, right? And I think that's one of the reasons that God just gives us examples of reality. 
He doesn't sugarcoat it. He didn't try to make everything perfect. God has principles. God has ideals. But praise God, he uses broken people. It's both in. And so we're looking at a broken family, a family that God ultimately wants to bring back to himself. But there's some interesting things that happen here. You see this family that has this dysfunction, but they also get distracted by some shiny objects. A number of years ago, I'm playing golf, and I'm in Colorado. I lived there at the time. And my, uh, my junior high pastor, his name is Rob, and Rob's a lefty, and we go out and we're playing golf. And uh, let me tell you something about golf in Colorado. You think you're a pro. Because that ball flies in the thin air at altitude. Like, you're like, I could hit it. I can drive the ball like 300 yards. I come to California, I hit the same shot. It goes 150. Right? And not only that, but you can just crank this thing. And Rob's a lefty. And so we're out on this beautiful golf course. And it's in like these massive red stones that angle down. It's called Castle Rock. And we're down in all these areas and looking at this beautiful uh, area that we're golfing in. And we're on this one par five hole. And you can see the whole fairway go out in front of you. And way in the distance, you can see the actual green and the pin because you're in an elevated position. And so we're on the tee box. And Rob's a lefty. And so he just cranks it up. And I'm telling you, best hit of the whole day. He cranks this thing right down the middle of the fairway, and it is going. And the amazing thing is we can watch it, but it's only spring, and spring doesn't mean warm in Colorado. It means that it's sunny, and there's not much wind, but the ground is still permafrost, which means the ball bounces like it's on concrete. So you hit this thing, and not only does it fly really far in the air, but it just keeps going and going and bouncing, and going. And he just gets all of it. Like, it makes the ping sound, and that thing just takes off, and we're watching it going, dude, that is awesome. So we're watching it bounce down and down and down, and all of a sudden we see this fox run out from the, <laughs> from the forest, runs out, grabs his ball, and runs back off into the forest. <laughs> he drops another one, he smacks it, he just shanks it, you know, we're like, ah, we're laughing. What happened? I'd be like, here's this fox. And we're like, unbelievable, like a fox just stole your ball. So eventually we just dropped his ball where we kind of think it would have ended up. We didn't really know. It wasn't that serious of a golf game. And so like we just look and, we're, and then finally the manager, like the little guy who drives the cart around and makes sure that you're playing fast enough, he comes up and we're like, dude, a fox stole our ball. And he goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, we know about that. Our groundskeepers have found the den that had over 200 balls in it. <laughs> little thief, right? It was being foxy, I guess. But he's out there, and, and like, just picture this for a moment. Here's a fox, and that fox is not doing what a fox should do. It's, it's off mission. I mean, golf balls do not make your den feel better. You can't eat them. They're not great chew toys. They don't make it more comfortable in there, but this thing had like 200 of them in its little den, right? And it would just go there. just sees a shiny object, right? Oh, a shiny object, and it runs out there, and it grabs it, and it takes off. And sometimes you and I are doing that too. We hit our life just right down the middle. We think we're just centered up. And all of a sudden, we get shiny object syndrome. And we get distracted in life. And that's what's happening to this family right here. So what happens? The mom utters a curse. So here's the thing. Son steals from mom, takes 28 pounds. You think this is like a little amount of silver. When you see the shekels, you're like, I don't know what that is. It's 28, not ounces of silver, 28 pounds of silver. This is a massive fortune, Okay. And so he steals it, and then he hears his mom utter a curse against the thief, and he goes, oh, no, that's me. So, so he's, he admits it. Mom, mom, that thief is me. I actually have it, and by the way, no harm, no foul. I'll give it back. 
So the mom then says, well, bless you, right? She pronounces a blessing. She said, the Lord bless you, my son. She's not saying, praise God, my money's found. She's basically saying, I gave a curse against a thief. Well, now that thief happens to be my son. So I got to undo the curse. Well, how do you undo the curse? Well, you undo the curse by giving a blessing. So you got this weird yin-yang kind of thing going on in their house. They don't understand how it all works. So she's saying a blessing to kind of cancel out whatever she cursed before. And so she says, now I will dedicate all of my silver to the Lord, right? That's what she says. I'm going to dedicate, praise be to God, I'm going to dedicate this fortune to God. And so then she's going to give some of it to her son. Now, how much did she dedicate? All of it, right? To the Lord. How much did she give back to her son? About five pounds. Still a substantial amount, but she dedicated all of it, but she only gave him a little bit of it back, and she says you should make an idol out of it and gives it to the silversmith and they craft it over an object and makes an idol. Were the people of God to have shrines? No. But here's Micah. Before he gets an idol, he already has a shrine in his house. But they were the people of God. They weren't to have shrines. But he has a shrine in his house. And so what happens is, then he gets the shrine, and now he gets this idol that's overlaid with silver, and and it's put in his house. And he had a shrine. And then what happens is this, that he he makes an ephod. An ephod is a priestly garment. And it's to be worn by a priest. And it's basically like a long robe without sleeves. It's kind of like a big, long vest with no sleeves. Maybe they'll come back in style. I don't know. But like that's what priests wore, right? It was like this garment that came over, had no sleeves on it, but that's what like priests would wear. So he gets this, he, he makes uh, some household gods, he, he makes an ephod, and then he installs one of his sons as the priest. Is his son of the priestly order? No. But in those days, everyone did as they see fit. Were the people of God to have shrines? No. They had a tabernacle. They had the place where the priests were to serve. They had a place of worship of God. They had the law. They had the Torah. They had that available to them. But they ignored what they had available to them and said, I'm going to do as I please. Were the people of God to have an idol? No. Absolutely not, not to have idols. In fact, you remember that this kind of harkens back to the time when the Hebrew people came out of slavery in Egypt and they came to the mountain of God and it was fearful and terrifying and they're like, oh, don't make God speak. Moses, you go talk to God on the mountain because we're too afraid. God is so mighty. He's so powerful. We're afraid for our lives and they feared God. And so Moses goes up the mountain, but he's gone a couple days. And the very first thing that the people do is they pool together their jewelry and they cast a golden calf, a shiny object. They cast this thing, they bow down to worship it, and Aaron, who is related to Moses, says, we're going to worship this calf as unto the Lord. In other words, God, we helped you out. We made an idol, something people can see to worship because we're too afraid to worship you for who you really are. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. He sees what's going on. He gets so upset, he throws them down. He goes back up. And then chisels out the Ten Commandments. Again, you know what commandment number two is? Look with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. It says this, You shall not 
make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall uh, not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to listen, a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And let me just time out there for a minute because I hear that third and fourth generational sin comment used out of context all the time. At this point in history, at this point in time, God is saying, listen, to the generations that hate me, the generations that follow false images, who follow other gods, the non-godly nations, these other ones, he's saying, listen, that generational sin occurs over and over and over among the people from the parents to the children because as a nation, they hate me. They follow false gods. But Israel, you're the people of God. And I'm going to show my faithfulness to thousands of generations. And later after Jesus Christ is crucified, I'm going to graft in the church. I'm going to graft in people like you and me who are Gentiles, who are believers. We are grafted into the people of God because God's faithfulness shows to generations, thousands of generations, to those who love them. But there's this weird shame game that goes on at times when people think, oh, is the sin of my parents on me and is it going to go to other generations let me tell you god is the one who brings freedom and he brings freedom through jesus christ that's good news he's going to show love to a thousand generations so what's the first thing that these people do they create a golden calf now what happens when people go their own way in, in the day of the judges now the first thing they do they get the money back they put it together and they create an idol the very thing that God hates. Why? Because people did as they see fit. You might want to write this down. Parents often give their shiny objects to their kids. Parents often give their shiny objects to the kids, right? What did the mom value so much? Her wealth, her silver. And now that it came back, she said, I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you some of my silver and we're going to make an idol. And so what happened? What the mom felt was important and what she valued was having some sort of God that would somehow bless her life, she's going to hand it off to her children. And don't you see that happen all the time? There are times parents come into my office and they say, Dave, our kids grew up in the church. We brought them to church and they grew up in the church, but now that they're young adults, they don't go to church. And not with every set of parents, but with certain sets of parents, I've had to just have an honest conversation and say, well, what you modeled was this. You modeled that you should go to church until. I say, until what? I said, you said you told your kids church is important until you've got a soccer tournament. Church is important until we're on vacation. Church is important until we're just too tired. Church is important until we have better things to do. And then they move out of your house and they say, well, they, they made concessions on certain levels and your kids are always going to find an until. And they're not going to come back to God until life has been brutal to them. Until they realize their need for Almighty God. Until they have kids and realize we have lost our moral compass. And they'll come back. But isn't it 
sometimes disheartening. I'm a parent. You're a parent. Some of you, some of you aspire to be parents if God blesses you. Children are a gift from the Lord. But isn't it interesting sometimes that our kids catch our values? I remember my kids growing up, and they went from being like little, little, to being like, you know, now they're like actual kids, and, you know, they're a little bit grown up. But I began to marvel that my kids, they loved my shiny objects. They loved the Denver Broncos, who didn't make the playoffs. God bless them. They loved the Colorado Avalanche, last place in the NHL right now. I hope they get that first draft choice for next year, right? They loved the music that I listened to. And it made me think of some of the lyrics of the music I was listening to. They loved, and it goes on. What happens? Our kids own and magnify what we love. So sometimes parents give their shiny objects to their kids. But i got to tell you something. Sometimes kids own and magnify our values. In fact, kids often will add to whatever shiny objects we've given them. We took it a certain degree, they'll add to it. Micah's mom gave him silver and gave him an idol. What did he decide to do? Well, now I need an ephod. I need a priestly garment. And now I'm going to get one of my sons to be a priest. Even though he's not even of a priestly order. I'm going I'm to do as I see fit. Why? Because we own and we magnify what we were handed. In the same way, sometimes we give our shiny objects to our kids. I was talking to a parent recently who was cracking up at herself when she said, yeah, the funny thing is, you know, our daughter, she will complain. And then we stand around and we complain about our kid complaining. <laughs> right? Where did they learn that? She learned complaining from her parents. And then they stand around, oh, we're complaining. What are we complaining about? We're complaining that our daughter complains all the time. Sometimes our kids own and magnify what we do. She was saying, sometimes we make judgments against people. And now we start to hear those same kind of judgments, actually a little harsher, coming out of the mouths of our own children. Where did they learn that? We handed to them our judgments, our shiny objects, our values, and we begin to see what that happens, but we notice that this progression happens, that kids will take what we hand them and they oftentimes add to it in a culture where people do as they see fit. What are they trying to do? People try oftentimes to give their life an upgrade by having God in it. I want to give myself a life upgrade. And that's what Mike is thinking. Right now he's going, I tried to steal the money, but then my mom cursed it, and that's religiously weird. So now I get the blessing. She gives me an object. But I want to upgrade my life. If, if I could get the idol, if I could add it to my shrine, if I could make a priestly garment, and I could install one of my sons as priests, then I'm going to upgrade my life. In other words, I don't really want to follow God as he reveals himself through his Torah, through his word. I now want to follow God to just upgrade my life. I want him to bless the direction I want my life to go. Not interested in doing what God wants me to do. I want God to be an add-on, an upgrade to my agenda, to my life, to my aspirations. We try to upgrade our lives by adding God to it. Instead of surrendering our lives to the God who is God Almighty, to a God who loves us, to a God who is our source, who is our provider. The story continues. We introduce a new character, a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, what's a Levite? A Levite is a person who's supposed to be what? 
a priest, okay? So the, there's these 12 tribes of Israel, and then you've got the Levites. The Levites are the ones who are supposed to operate as priests within the tribe where they were born. So they were the people who were supposed to be the priests. That's their job. If you were born a Levite, you had no worry about what your career was supposed to be. If you're a Levite, you're supposed to be a priest. That's the way it is, and you're freed up. Because you don't have to go out and work the fields in agricultural society. What happens is they work, and then you get a portion. You get your food, you get your barbecue, you get everything you need from the sacrifices that you help serve at the tabernacle or at the temple, that you basically do that. That's what the priest is supposed to do. So here's a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah who had been living within the clan of Judah, but he left that town in search of some other place to stay. I want you to catch that phrase for a minute. He's been on assignment where he's supposed to be. He's on mission based on where he's born and in the clan he's supposed to be and in the tribe he's supposed to serve. But he decides to leave that for a life upgrade. I want to find someplace else to go. I want to find someplace else to stay instead of being on mission where I am. And on his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. So he's left the tribe of Benjamin and now he's moved outside that tribe to another tribe, the tribe of Ephraim, as he's heading north thinking the grass is greener, and it is as you travel more north in Israel. But as he's going up that way, he comes to the hill country of Ephraim. And verse 9, Micah asked him, where are you from? And the guy said, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Ding, 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 ding. Micah says, upgrade, Right? Here's a Levite looking for a place to stay. This would be better than my son. He's not the best priest. You know, I just... So what does he do? Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes, and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. What's he doing trying to get an upgrade? The priest is trying to upgrade his situation. And then Micah is saying, now I've got a real priest. So in my house, I've got a shrine. I've got idols. I've, I've got this idol overlay with silver. I made the ephod, and now I have a legitimate real priest. This is going to be, and his whole agenda is to add God to his way of doing things, add God to his life, so that his agenda, his life could be blessed. He's looking to use God as a life upgrade. The priest compromised his calling for a life upgrade. He wanted to go to where the grass was greener. So he started moving north. And he found a situation where he could have a life upgrade. I'm going to make more. I get to serve one family. Let me tell you, is, is God's agenda for a priest to just serve one family? Did God assign a priest to every single family so everybody had their own shrine, their own idol, their own priest? No. The priest is to serve community. In fact, if you notice this, this is like a rejection of community. It's a rejection of the most important thing in Jewish culture. This communal idea, this communal living, this, that we are brothers and sisters together, that we have these 12 tribes, but we are united, and then the Levites serve as we follow the living God. It's a rejection of that for a life upgrade. The priest got off mission. And then Micah, 
who, by the way, is not the prophet Micah or the book of Micah later in Scripture. This is just a different dude, same name. But he has this deception that God is going to be good to me to bless my life mission, even though I just do as I please. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, to New Testament believers, Peter says this, and listen to me carefully because it deals with you and me. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal what? Priesthood, right? A priesthood, right? A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And he's saying, listen, you are the priests. God is making you the church He doesn't put up some icon or some shiny object or some big building. God is saying, you are the church and you're going to multiply across a dark world and you're going to shine like stars in the universe in front of a dark world because God's light, his Holy Spirit is going to be inside you and you are going to get on mission with his vision and you are going to shine to a dark world the hope that comes through Jesus. He says, you're a priest. You're declared righteous. Get on life mission. Get on his mission. Get on God. And what is the God that we pray? I mean, listen, we are seeking the living God. And we downgrade God all the time. God is a God who is a God. The scriptures say that he wraps himself in light like a garment. That God dwells in unapproachable light. That's the God we're talking about. A God who speaks and stars are cast into the universe. That's the God we're talking about. And people rejected that God and began to live as they pleased, to do whatever they saw fit to do. And they wanted to beckon to that God and say, will you help me be a life upgrade? And when you and I do that, it's a rejection of relationship with him. Because what are we doing? We began to say, God, I, I want to seek your hand out. I want to seek your hand. Just do for me, God. Do something for me. And God's saying, I'm right here. Seek my face. I'm the treasure. I'm the shiny object. Seek me for my face, for who I am, not just for what I do. You want to know how this story turns out? All you got to do is read chapter 18, and in chapter 18, here's how it goes. A whole tribe says, we're tired of the land that God gave us as an inheritance. We're going to move north. It's greener up north. The grass is better. We're going to move up by Redding, basically, or Ukiah, or wherever, right? They're going to say, it's greener up there. We're going to move north. We're tired of Southern California. We're moving way up north. And that's what they do, the whole tribe. And as they go forward as an army, they come by Micah's house. And they go, dude, we're taking your silver. We're taking your idol. By the way, we're taking your priest. And the priest is like, well, I don't know. And they say, well, listen, we'll give you a better upgrade. And the priest is like, score. I just got a better thing. I'll now be the priest of this tribe. So he goes off with them. Well, Micah doesn't like it. He grabs his clan. They follow them. They come up to them, and the the Danites turn around and say, "Uh, listen, you can make your complaint, but we'll kill you. And it was like 600 warriors to like five. And so they tucked tail, and they went back home. So did his life upgrade work? No. It all got taken from him. But then the tribe of Dan moves to the northern end of Israel, and they say, this is perfect. We have a green, lush land. We are protected. This is the best area in the whole land to be. This is better than what God proclaimed to us. But generations later, they didn't realize that they put themselves in the most vulnerable position, that every nation that will come to attack Israel will come from the north, through the tribe of Dan first, 
So when the Assyrians came, they got taken first. When the Babylonians came, they got taken first. When the Greeks came, when the Romans came, they all came from the north and conquered them first. God said, why can't you be content with where I had you? Here's what happens when you follow your own way. You think you're grabbing a life upgrade, but you're not. Listen, life upgrades lead to emptiness. They don't satisfy. What satisfies is when you and I seek the face of God more than his hand. And so God is coming to you today saying, listen, I don't know what you anticipate 2017 looking like or what you want it to look like, but could you imagine if you and I said, this year, God, this year, I'm going to seek your face more than your hand. I'm going to get less upset about what the world does in the darkness of the world because I'm seeking the face of a God who wraps himself in light like a garment, a God who spoke the heavens into being. I'm going to begin to seek you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to carefully read your word. And God, I'm going to begin to let your word have claim and a voice in my life. Not doing what the culture says, not doing my way of icy fit, but God, who do you say that I am? How do you say I ought to live? God, I want to become one who seeks your face, not just your hand. He is the treasure. He's the shiny object that never perishes or spoils or fades. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to think for a minute, maybe this morning, God's Holy Spirit has begun to speak to you, that he said, listen, I'm not just a life upgrade. And maybe you've been reaching to me to just be a blessing on your life, but you've not been reaching to me to be the God of your life. And if that's you, if you're a believer in the room, would you just, just openly just confess to God during this quiet time that you've been chasing some shiny objects? And would you just name them before him, just silently, right where you're seated? God hears you. Just admit it. God, I've been following this. I've been so easily distracted by this. May this year, God, I come back to you. May this year, God, I pursue your face. And maybe for some of you in this room, you're just checking God out. You're just saying, hey, I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out, and I'm new to this, and I, I don't know all these things, but maybe today you're realizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. That the reason he went to the cross was to satisfy God's judgment against your sin and your shame. And that when you and I put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, God makes us a new creation. He makes us a priest. He washes our sin away. We enter relationship with God. We've already been born once from our parent, but now we would be born again spiritually. And if that's you today, if you'd like to walk into that kind of relationship, to know the living God, then right where you're seated, you just pray this in your heart. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose from the grave because you are God. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside and clean me of all my sin. Today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.